Coming up on this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast, we're talking NFL schedule as it has been released. We're also taking a peek at some of the issues right now with Major League Baseball as they try and get their season up and going. And talking about a group trying to get a season up and going, we're going to talk a little college football. That's all coming up today on the 414 Sports Podcast. As I said, welcome in once again to the 414 Sports Podcast. Glad to have you with us for this edition, whether, again, you're finding us through Apple, Google, Spotify, whatever the platform is. Glad to have you on board. A lot to get to, as always, and it seems a little bit ironic considering what's going on, not only in our city, the state, the nation, the world, that there is still so much in the world of sport to talk about, even when many of uh, the endeavors aren't taking place on the field, so much happening off the field to get to. So as I said in the introduction, we're going to be looking at the NFL schedule, specifically that of the Green Bay Packers. We'll take a peek at baseball right now, really could find itself becoming America's pastime once again in the midst of this pandemic, but the almighty dollar getting in the way. And we'll get to that after the NFL schedule. And then we'll close things out with college football, looking at how they're going to implement their 2020 season. One minute you hear pessimism, not sure how things are going to go. The next minute, you've got some athletic directors within the Power Five um, excited about where things are headed here as the days and weeks go by. It's hard to believe it's been nine weeks, roughly, since everything shut down when the NBA pulled the plug, uh, which got the ball rolling for just about every other major sport, then exercising their right, shall we say, as to eradicating the rest of the season here locally in Milwaukee, the AHL, uh, the AAA league, shall we say, for the NHL has canceled the remainder of his season. So we've got a champion here in the 414 in the Milwaukee Admirals. So congratulations to the Milwaukee Admirals for uh, winning the AHL season this year, a shortened season, obviously, but not much anybody can do about it right now. But let's switch over and talk about the NFL. As the NFL, as we've talked about on this podcast so many times, does it so well from a marketing standpoint where every so many weeks they find themselves relevant in the sporting world on a 12-month basis. You know, for a league that really, with its preseason, Starting in August, about the second, what, second, third week of August is when the preseason generally starts within the NFL. But the NFL with training camp and the draft and even something like unveiling the schedule turns into a huge media event. And that's exactly what took place. So as we run through, it's always funny because many Many cities right now are looking at a schedule and everybody going into the season usually believes their team is what? 13 and 3, 12 and 4, 10 and 6. I mean, that's the optimism all clubs have 
with their schedule, and that that's what makes this time of the year fun when we're talking about the NFL. But for the first time in a long time, looking at the NFL schedule, I found myself, I guess because of the way the draft went this year, being more pessimistic than I was optimistic looking at the schedule. So the schedule for the Packers will begin on Sunday, September 13th. Now again, we're going to do this under the assumption that the NFL will start its season as scheduled, that there will be things in place with regards to COVID-19, and we will have football this fall. So under that premise, under that assumption, let's run through as the Packers open at Minnesota, home against Detroit, at New Orleans, home against Atlanta. That's a tough four-game start for the first quarter of your season, and the Packers don't help themselves, um, not by anything they did, it's by the scheduling gods, so to speak, uh, having an early buy, having a buy already in week five, and looking at at Minnesota, Detroit at home, at New Orleans, Atlanta at home, two and two is about as good as I can see the Packers going. Uh, you know, I've heard people already four and zero, three and one. If we can get to four and zero, go to the bye, and and all of the um, the green and gold colored glasses that are viewed looking at the schedule. But when I look at the schedule at Minnesota, tough place to open your season up on the road um, a- across the river, shall we say? Always a tough game. Detroit is Detroit uh, until they prove. Uh, anything different, uh, you can put some of the best players that you will find in the NFL in a Detroit Lions uniform, and the culture and the current status of that team will find a way to goof it up. So I have no faith in the Lions. So I see us going one and one at New Orleans. You got to figure New Orleans is as good as advertised, as well as they've been advertised for the last few years. So suddenly you're looking at one and two, and Atlanta then becomes kind of the question mark before the bye week. Atlanta at least is in Green Bay, so you slow what is normally a very fast team down a little bit, playing on natural grass, but with the addition of Gurley in the backfield, um, not knowing uh, what this team will be. This team was, this team being Atlanta, was a bit of an anomaly last year where they started the year really struggling, And then when their backs were to the wall, they really responded. So are they going to play with that urgency from week one? Or will we see a situation like we saw last year where they kind of floundered in the beginning before really taking off? So we'll have to wait and see. So one and three, two and two. Then after the bye, you're at Tampa. So hello, Tom Brady. Welcome to the NFC. At Houston, hello, Deshaun Watson. That easily you could find yourself 0-2 0-2 after those two weeks at after the bye. Then you've got Minnesota at home at San Francisco. This, this first part of the schedule is just brutal for the Green Bay Packers, and I am not quite sure whether or not the Packers have done enough. Um, one of the things that was kind of prevalent last year with the Green Bay Packers were strong first halves, and second halves in which they really just held on. 
the adjustments at halftime were made by other teams, and the other teams' adjustments seemed to be a bit better than the adjustments the Green Bay Packers were making. Fortunately for the Pack, they had sustained such big leads, or at least they could match up in a team like Detroit where you could go mano a mano and come away with the win. I'm not quite sure that at Tampa, at Houston, Minnesota at home, at San Francisco is going to result in the same favor that we saw last year. You also have to remember this is a Green Bay ball club that was extremely healthy last year. Will that health stay? Will some of the calls that went the Packers' way go our way this year? So there's a lot of ifs, obviously, going into the season. I just know that this schedule, as far as the Packers go, is brutal. And then after that, it's Jacksonville. You hope that and should be a win. At Indianapolis. Indianapolis, a completely different team now with Phillip Rivers at the helm. Have to wait and see what they've got. They also picking up some good players in the draft. Not sure what the Colts are going to be. The Colts, a a respectable team last year. Um, are they ready to take the next step? And not only are they ready to take the next step, as a Packer fan, you have to go to their house in order to get that game. And then it's Chicago at home, Philadelphia at home, at Detroit, Carolina, Tennessee at home, and then at Chicago. So the latter half of the schedule, at least on paper, could be a little bit better for the Green Bay Packers as opposed to the beginning And if the Packers struggle in the beginning, what will that do for their psyche? Where will that uh, put them as far as uh, their ability to overcome obstacles? And what will that do for a fan base that has been up in arms after this draft, a draft in which many feel as if they passed on trying to get Aaron Rodgers some much-needed weaponry to help out in the current as opposed to looking ahead to the future when when they trade up to draft a quarterback. So all of those things kind of get thrown into the pot and get stirred about as we make our way to the 2020 season. Now, again, that's all under the assumption that there will be some things in place to combat the COVID-19 virus and we'll hopefully have then football beginning on time. I think the key with the NFL season is we may find ourselves with a shortened preseason schedule uh, instead of four, maybe having that knocked down even a little bit more. But again, there are so many question marks and it seems as if every time the light at the tunnel uh, at the end of the tunnel, excuse me, is getting brighter then suddenly it dims for whatever reason. So we'll have to wait and see how it plays out, but at least that's the Packers schedule. Honestly, with things falling into the place, I can I can see Green Bay going seven and nine this year, and I know I'm putting myself out there on the record right now with uh, <laughs> with putting this on audio, but I I just we had a lot of things as Packer fans fall our way last year. We we escaped the injury bug. Um, we had a new system that people had to adjust to. Not only our own players, but defensively teams had to adjust to what we were doing. And I just don't know if we're going to have all of the planets align like they did last year going into this 2020 season. But as somebody once famously said, that's why we played a game. So we'll have to wait and see how that all plays out. All right, next up, let's talk some baseball. As Major League Baseball right now, 
uh, has some proposals on the table that the owners have put to the Players Association as far as getting a season up and running by July. Now, a few weeks back, I thought July 4th, just the symbolism of July 4th would be a great a great start for Major League Baseball and has the COVID virus seems to be flattening a bit in much of the country, has testing, has ramped up, and as scientists and health officials become more and more knowledgeable about the virus, I think we may see baseball, much like we've seen baseball in Korea, without fans, but we may see baseball finally in a shortened season begin in July. Now, the hubbub going uh, forth here as we tape this podcast is the fact that the owners have submitted a a split revenue type of scenario with the Players Association for when games resume. And so the, the money issue will creep its ugly head into this once again. I wrote an article on 414sports.com. What Major League Baseball needs to do, though, however, both the players and the owners, we're talking about millionaires and billionaires arguing over dollars. And I understand it's a business, and we'd be naive to think baseball is not a business and that from a business perspective, there are things that the average fan is not going to understand but we are in a time when we've seen unemployment hit hit numbers that it did not hit even in the Great Depression. We've got people who are out of work. We've got people who are struggling to make ends meet. And the last thing they want to do or read in the paper or read on the Internet are millionaires and billionaires haggling over money. These guys are going to need to figure out a way to go behind closed doors. Again, it's a business, completely understandable. But while you're negotiating and while you're haggling all of this stuff out, it needs to be done behind closed doors. It needs to be done in private so that the public doesn't understand and won't understand, hopefully for years to come, what all took place to make it happen. But it needs to happen. Now, that's all under the pretense that the safety and well-being of anyone who's involved with the game is taken care of. We're talking players, managers, coaches, umpires, the guys who work in the clubhouse themselves, the stadium personnel, all of those people, as long as it's healthy for them to play, baseball needs to figure out a way to get this done. Baseball has an opportunity in the midst of this virus to bring the game, to elevate the game back to its preeminent status of being the national pastime. We always refer to baseball as the national pastime. Let's face it, over the last decade or two, maybe even three now, football and basketball have kind of superseded baseball as this nation's pastime. But with this virus, with this country yearning for some sort of normalcy, baseball could provide that. Baseball has provided that during other major events in our nation's history, whether we're talking about World War II, 9-11, the Vietnam War. You can go through and you can find portions of our history where people 
got involved as far as spectating goes back into baseball because it provided a sense of normalcy, a sense of calm, a sense of, yeah, this is what we do in our country and everything is going to be okay. Baseball could propel itself back to that level, back to that status level of being America's pastime, but they're in jeopardy of ruining it. Back in 94, they threw the season out the window as owners and players argued, haggled over millions and billions of dollars, and it turned the fan base away. Now, you will always hear fans that will say, I'm never coming back. I won't watch baseball again. Well, everybody said that in 94, and look, baseball is doing quite well. But the downturn could be extremely detrimental for the game during what we now know to be a bit of a recession going on economically, and you can't have a downturn along with an economic downturn. So baseball, get it together, figure it out, and as long as you're healthy, make sure that you find a way to get on that field by July as long as it's physically healthy to do because these United States will be watching baseball like they haven't watched it in years and years and years, and you've got an opportunity to really elevate your status. Okay, so let's wrap some things up here for, again, this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast and turn our attention to college football. College football, obviously, months away as far as the official start of the season, but we're almost weeks, literally, away from when teams need to have that final, let's say, line in the sand when it comes to getting training camp started. So there are a number of scenarios being proposed with regards to college football. The good thing is at least that the optimism has returned, and that's what's been really kind of intriguing about this whole thing with COVID-19 is that you know one day, one week, you feel as if everything is going to get up and running in the fall like we hope. And then the next day you hear somebody or read a report or whatever the case may be, and suddenly the light at the end of the tunnel has gotten even dimmer. But in looking at what many colleges are gearing up for, for the fall, you become even more optimistic that college football will be up and running. Now, you have to understand that college football is the main source of income for many of these universities, especially when we're talking about their entire athletic department. I heard uh, Colin Cowherd on his national show talking about he thinks that college football should be privatized because of the enormous burden that they hold in keeping all of the other sports up and running through the various television contracts and revenue that they bring in at the gate which I thought was a little bit extreme. I mean, I understand protecting college football and wanting college football, and I want college football as much as anybody. But the idea of privatizing college football and annexing it away from the rest of the university and its responsibility to help those other sports um, to make uh, the university 
what it is. I mean, universities are not just about football and basketball. They're also about that gymnastics team or the rowing team or volleyball. I mean, it all adds to the community what a university is all about. So when Cowherd went that route, I completely disagreed, though understanding that the idea of pushing and advancing college football into the fall and getting it up and running is extremely important. Um, What was it? Minnesota, I believe, was looking at a $1 million uh, surplus had everything gone the way people thought it would go, let's say back in January before the virus uh, reared its ugly head in our nation. Now Minnesota is looking at could anywhere go from, I believe it was 45 to a $75 million deficit, depending on how things play out. Uh, the University of Wisconsin has asked many of its top earners, like Greg Gard on the basketball side and Barry Alvarez, athletic director, um, to name just two to take wage cuts as every single university right now with the idea that the athletic department is going to take a hit, are looking at how do we balance budgets and how do we keep uh, our sports programs where they are. A couple of weeks ago on this podcast, we talked about already how a couple of universities have erased wrestling, for instance, in order to help um, make budget cuts as as they move forward. So hopefully um, the article in Sports Illustrated talking about some of the issues at hand for college football and the idea that many of these issues now are becoming more and more plausible to overcome, which then means we're going to see football in the fall. Now, we might not see those preseason games like we've seen in the past. Um, I know some people have referred to them as, you know, somebody like Alabama playing the the sisters of Notre Dame uh, at, uh, you know, name the small town. But as important as those games are that people don't realize sometimes, even though they are, let's say, uh, their their walks in the park for some of these Division I teams, it's their opportunity to finally play someone other than themselves and to fine-tune all of those things they had been working on spring and summer. Those games might not be seen. But there are also some other obstacles that could find their way in place here. And those obstacles mainly are centered around the COVID-19 virus. How do you move forward? Because you have to figure, first of all, that out of the thousands of young men that are playing collegiate football, someone is going to get sick. Someone is going to be exposed to that virus while on the college campus. Someone is going to get sick. How does that then play out with the team? Does the team get quarantined? Do you then quarantine the entire league? Does, let's say, the Pac-10, excuse me now, the Pac-12, does the Pac-12 suddenly the entire league shut down for two weeks until everybody tests clear again and then boom, back out onto the field? Um, There are some that are, are looking at trying to move the college season up just a little bit because they're looking at moving the academic season up. Many feel that once this uh, 
the flu season, which usually comes in late November, early December and starts to uh, to ramp up there, that that's when the real next wave of COVID-19 will hit. So there are some universities that are looking at trying to start a little bit early so that by Thanksgiving, they've wrapped up their semester. They can be done, send everybody home, and then see how things are playing out in hopes of avoiding what could be the second breakout. You also have to look at testing, the amount of testing that's going to be done on these athletes in order to allow them to practice and perform is going to be extensive. Now, testing has been a huge bone of contention in this country, but seems to be getting better as of late. However, the amount of testing that will be necessary at the collegiate and professional level far exceeds right now what we're doing. So hopefully, the amount of tests that can be produced will obviously keep increasing the way they have. They become then stockpiled, and then you have universities and professional teams that have access to them because one report I read said that you're looking at $1,000 an athlete as far as testing goes in order to make sure that they are clear of this virus before getting on to either the practice or game field. So the expense in testing is going to be something that I think we're going to be talking about for quite a long time. And yet, as science goes, the way people are working on this, you're hoping that as time moves forward, as we move into the summer and hopefully, let's just say by August, that I think the idea of a vaccine is kind of out the window. What you hope is that you have better detection and better treatment of the virus so that things then kind of return back to normal. We have flu shots. People still get the flu, but we have methods now to really treat the flu better and more effectively than we ever had in our nation's history. So hopefully the science that's out there will figure out a way to treat COVID-19 in such a fashion that people will bounce back and not suffer some of the horrific um, side effects and, and obviously death that we've seen this, this virus do. So planning to look at college football come the fall is becoming ever more plausible, and yet there are so many questions that need to be examined and dealt with before college football can go. 70% now say, and when I say 70%, 70% of colleges that were surveyed throughout the country are planning on coming back in the fall. So if 70% of the colleges are planning on coming back in the fall, Many athletic directors and coaches believe if the kids are coming back, that means they should be able to hold camps and games regardless of what the contest or sport is. So let's wait and see how this plays out. But hopefully, again, as time goes, things will, will get better and we'll find ourselves back to normalcy. So that's all we got for this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for joining us on this particular episode. Keep it right here. Check in periodically 
as we'll keep putting episodes up on the platform. Be safe, be well.